still is. It's only been a few weeks. Um, and, um, you know, when he graduated from high school, he had a pretty good idea what he wanted to do. Not everybody does, you know, but he knew what he wanted to do, and, and now he's in college, he's preparing for it, and college is just such a grind for him. And I was thinking, yeah, I get that. I had an idea of what I wanted to, to do, and the whole idea of going to college was just daunting to me. And I really didn't enjoy it. Some people do. Strange thing, I didn't become who I thought I was going to be. I ended up here. And it's wonderful. But you know, the disciples of Jesus, they, they, were, in, um, they were in training too. Uh, I was thinking about it this week and I was just thinking about, it was really the university of Jesus that they were attending. And Jesus was their only professor. And unlike my young friend, they had no clue where they were going. They didn't know where their training was going to take them. It's not even clear to me that they even really understood they were in training. They were disciples, followers, learners. They didn't know what the plan was. The cool thing about the university of Jesus is that the classroom wasn't books and papers and computers and pencils and things like that. No, the classroom of Jesus was anywhere he took them. That was their classroom. And it was every single day. And by this point in their experience in Jesus University, it had been about three years. And one of the places that our little video so aptly talked about, one of the classroom locations was the gates of hell. Caesarea Philippi. I know that all of you know exactly where that was. Right? And you know exactly all about it. He did say it was about pagan worship. Uh, the fact is, Caesarea Philippi was about 30 miles north of Galilee. It was not in Israel. And as he said, they were Jewish men and they were in a place where they did not belong. In fact, the literal translation of the name Caesarea Philippi means Caesarea of Philip, or Caesarea belonging to Philip. Philip was a son of Herod. He was called a Tetrarch. Herod divided up his area, and, and, and there were four rulers, over one over each area. And he went into this area and took it over, I think probably by force. I didn't actually look that up. And he created a city for himself, and it was the center of of worship of Caesar himself. Caesar proclaimed himself a god. And that's where Caesar worship was taking place. Other places too. But it was really, as they said, the gates of hell. Why would Jesus take them there? Why there? 30 miles away? He's got some questions he wants to ask them, but can't he just ask them anywhere? 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, you know, they get around. They hear what the people are saying. Jesus, you think he needed information? No, probably not. No, he wanted them to talk. Part of education is dialogue. When the dialogue breaks down, either in the classroom or in the family or the workplace or the church, then it's not going to go well. And part of what he was training them to do was talk to me. Think about all of the times that Jesus heard them muttering in the background and he stopped and said, so what are you guys talking about? Usually something really embarrassing like, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Dialogue, talk to me. And so they did. Some say John the Baptist. Where'd they get that? Well, if you had gone back a few chapters in the book of Matthew, you would know that Herod wanted to see Jesus. That was Herod the father, not Herod Philip. And he wanted to, he wanted to see Jesus, and he was, had super, he was superstitious. Here's this guy Jesus doing all of these miracles and things. It's John the Baptist come back from the dead. And you know, when Herod said stuff, it kind of got around. Everybody, you know, you kind of nodded your head, right? Because you don't disagree with Herod, or he'll take your head off. And there were some that said it was Elijah. Well, that came, comes out of Malachi. Malachi 4.5. You know, before the great day of the Lord, Elijah will come. And along the way, Jesus had said to the disciples, Elijah had already come. The spirit of Elijah was John the Baptist. Another weird guy that lived out in the middle of nowhere and dressed funny and ate weird stuff like locusts. He was a prophet. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? That's the question so aptly put by our little video. I don't know if there would have been silence at that point or not. I like the way that guy in the video said, this is one you don't want to get wrong. And I'm telling you today, 2,000 years later, this is a question that we don't want to get wrong. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ. That word Christ, the Greek word, means anointed one. Anointed by God to do all the things that are necessary to save me from my sins. It's the, in, in Hebrew, the word is Messiah. Today, we use both. In Greek, it is Christos, and I don't know the Hebrew pronunciation of Messiah. That's the same word. It means anointed. Anointed for the purpose of God in doing the things and giving the gifts that we need in order to be in eternity with him. Man, the truth of it comes out. I've always thought of this passage as totally fascinating. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to Peter. A person of flesh and blood, that is not the one who revealed it. Three years with Jesus. It wasn't flesh and blood. 
You know, people have been saved in this room. Uh, I have talked to some of them. Uh, they, people, maybe more people than just a few that I know, and haven't shared that with me. It's okay. My prayer is that God will make me part of someone else's salvation, and I don't even know, need to know when it's happening. That's my prayer. A couple times people have said, it was it. Two guys said it was the messages week after week and thinking about them. One guy was driving home and all of a sudden, I get it. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Savior. And then there was one man who came to faith during communion. It was the most awesome thing. He wasn't a regular here. He had just started coming. And as we were getting ready, I said, if you love Jesus and you believe in him and you are trusting only in him for eternity, please join us. And he, it was the first time he realized, oh, that's me. I'm one of those guys. It's amazing. And wouldn't it be easy for me to think, oh, wow, I'm a great preacher. Think of these, these people that get saved. It wasn't me. We may even think that if we just deliver enough information, enough of the scriptures to people, that they will then be able to decide for themselves, this is for me. It's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus didn't even claim any credit for himself. How is that possible? He had spent three years up to this point with these guys... And he said it was his Father in heaven. I was thinking about that. There's a, there's a verse, and one of my favorite verses in John chapter 6 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's not what we think. It's not even what I think I experienced way back when. It is the Father who reveals it to us in a way that we can finally believe. The man in the corner that was saved during a, um, this thing here, he'd been hearing the message on and off for his whole life. And then he got it. It's never, ever too late. Three years. Three years in Jesus University and it comes to this point. This is like the midterm. Or not quite the final exam, but it's a midterm. And it's a proclamation. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. But there's more. And here is where it is so easy to go wrong in this passage. And that is, we think that uh, when Jesus says... I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We like to think that he's talking about Peter. Well, he's talking to Peter, right? But he really wasn't. It was a little bit of a play on words. Peter's Greek name was Petros. It means pebble. Small stone. 
something that is movable. Kick it with your foot, right? After this proclamation of his faith, Peter was still pretty much the same guy. You read about him in the Gospels and then even in the book of Acts, you know, and we realize that he was still pretty much the same guy. He was still the same guy that put his foot in his mouth just about every time he opened it. He was the guy who denied the Lord Jesus three times in one day. Wow, I wish it had only been three times for me. But is this the kind of person that God is going to call the rock, the foundation, the ultimate beginning point of the church? Peter is more like sifting, shifting sand than a rock because that word rock that he used means rock, cliff, mountain. Something that is not movable. The only rock of our salvation is the Lord Jesus. And now comes the answer, maybe, to the question of why did they go there? 30 miles, on foot, tough walk, and it is likely, I can't say definite, the Bible doesn't say this, is that Jesus wanted them there because the area of Caesarea Philippi is dominated by rock cliffs all around. And then they're walking from village to village, place to place. They, all they had to do is gaze up a little bit and they'll see an immovable rock. One that you and I can't take down without dynamite. Part of it was to proclaim, Peter, you're a strong guy. And you're going to be used in a huge way in the future of the church. But the rock that I am building the, the uh, church on isn't really going to be you. It was Jesus. Everywhere they looked, they could tell. And the rock of salvation is where I get built on by faith when I proclaim the same as Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I wish I could tell you I knew what that meant. Did a lot of reading, a lot of thinking, a lot of praying. And the only thing I can think of is the keys are to heaven is the gospel. And it is the gospel that unlocks the kingdom or for some keeps it closed because they refuse to receive it. They refuse to believe it and trust it. The keys to the kingdom. And you know, he's not just talking to Peter here. He was talking to the twelve. 
And God had a magnificent plan for them to use these keys sometime in the future to free people from their sin and deliver them into the kingdom of God. It's an amazing thought. It started with 12 of them. And then it went on and on and on. And we now today who believe in Jesus and are proclaiming you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is that your proclamation, then you too have those keys. Blessed Lord, thank you for who you are. It's amazing. We all the time, we talk about trusting Jesus, we're believing in him and all that, and yet you have trusted us with the keys to your kingdom. You've trusted us with the gospel, even though we're not good at it. Even though one way it, we talk about it, it might be accurate, or I might make mistakes, I might say the wrong thing. You have trusted us with the keys to your kingdom, the gospel, to give that and share that with those who need to be freed. Lord, I pray that as we go through this Easter season that we, our thoughts would be dominated by who we say Jesus is, the Christ, and that you would help us with those keys, those keys to the kingdom. Help us to unlock the future for the people in our family, the people we work with, students at school, all of them, Lord, I pray that you would help us, give us a passion for unlocking heaven for everyone we know who doesn't trust you yet. In your name, amen. Let's stand together.